Let's get right into our word this morning. Matthew chapter uh, 16, uh, we're going to get started. I'm kicking off a brand new series this morning entitled Questions Jesus Asked. And this morning we're going to answer the question, who am I? Who am I? Matthew 16 verse 13, know it well, I'm, do, I'm not going to read the entire context, I'm just going to read that one verse. It said, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Let me read that again. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. As I said, this morning as we kick off this new series on questions that Jesus asked, um, I, I, it, we're going to be doing this for the rest of the summer. And I, it's important because when Jesus speaks, there's something behind it. You know, Jesus was never one to waste words. How many how many's ever heard somebody talk about idle words? You know, the Bible even says for every idle word that a man speaks, they would give an account for. Uh, I've always looked at idle words like this. An idle word is when you put your mouth in gear and your brain in neutral. That, that's an idle word. Uh, and, and, and so when Jesus talks, when you see him in the Gospels, when you, most of them are red, when you see the red letters, they mean something. Not only does it mean something of things that he says, but especially of the questions that he asks. And so questions, we're going to talk about that. So questions are par and parcel to life, right? I mean, every one of us, have you ever thought about how many questions you actually answer every day? Anybody ever thought about that? I mean, every single day, you and I answer many, many, many questions. Uh, unless you have a toddler, and then it's millions of questions. Right? All the parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, and, and most of the questions that we deal with are very routine, very mundane. They, they really have no bearing on our lives outside of that moment. For instance, when you get up in the morning... One of the first things that you do, you walk to the closet, you open it up, and what do you ask? What am I going to wear? And then when you put your clothes on, you go, to the, you go to your job or you do your running or whatever, and then it gets closer to the evening time, and you say, okay, what's for dinner? Well, listen, that's not earth-shattering, right? I mean, th- those are questions that are very routine. They really have no significance beyond that moment. Well, then there's some questions that are a bit more intense, okay, and they carry a little more significance in our life. Questions like, should I marry him or her? How many know that's a big deal? All right, three of you do. I'm going I'm to pray for the rest of you. <laughs> because who you marry is very, very important. The Bible says we're not to be unequally, what, yoked? How many times have we gotten into trouble because we violated God's word? So anyway, that's an important question. Who should I marry? Should I marry him? Should I marry her? Should I marry the blonde, the brunette, the blue-eyed, the whatever? You know, that's an important question. Uh, How about this one? Do I submit to the treatment that my doctor is recommending for me? Again, that's a little more intense. And that has a little more bearing than just the moment in which you're making decision. Um, Again, it warrants careful thought. Again, I would simply say this. Be careful about making hasty decisions. When you're hungry, don't go to the grocery store. Right? Everybody know that, right? You know, don't don't make rash, hasty decisions. The Bible says there is wisdom, where? In the multitude of counsel. And if you're going to make decisions that have have long-term ramifications, it's, it's important that you get opinions of other people. 
God can speak through other people to help bring direction to your life. So it's important that we pay attention to those things. But listen to me, there's one question that has tremendous significance. And you get that question wrong and it seals eternity. It's an important question. Jesus asked this probing question of his disciples. He asked them, who do people say that I am? Again, question. So he was setting them up. You got to understand what Jesus is doing here. He's setting them up for the ultimate question that every one of us has to answer. So what did they do? Well, they responded with giving him answers of things that they had heard. Okay, well, some people say this and some people say that. You know, some people thought that, uh, you know, isn't it amazing that even when Jesus walked the earth that people were still confused about him? I mean, the Bible said everywhere Jesus went, he was doing good. Healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding everybody with McFish sandwiches. I mean, he was always doing good stuff. And yet there were people that did not understand him. So they, they said, well, you know, he was a prophet. Others said, well, he was a political leader. Others thought he was John the Baptist that had come back to life. You know what? Today we still grapple with that question. There's still people today that struggle with the question about Jesus. And some of the modern answers, if you ask that question about Jesus, uh, they would be something like this. Well, he was a good man. You ask 10 non-religious people who Jesus was, eight of them would say he was a good man who lived a long time ago. That's what they would answer you. When in doubt, say something good, right? So they don't know. He was a good man. Another viewpoint today, people would say, well, you know, he was a, he was a misunderstood rabbi. And, and this view right here holds that Jesus was a talented, gifted teacher, but he never intended to start a religion. He was just there to help bring some clarity and understanding and reform Judaism. They kind of looked at Jesus like a, like a first century Martin Luther who came to reform Judaism, um, but that was it. And he ended up crucified because of his efforts. And then you have some today that see Jesus as a revolutionary Jesus. Now, this was a viewpoint that was started in the 60s, okay? And what this viewpoint holds, and it was started by radicals who looked at Jesus as a revolutionary who came to overthrow the unjust power structures of his day and bring the kingdom to bear through nonviolent means, okay? Well, there, there are some theologians, if you go back and look at church history, who use this, this revolutionary Jesus as support for Marxist governments because they thought Jesus, that's what he came to do. He came to overturn the unjust power structures of our day. And then the last one uh, that we would have in our modern culture today would be what we would call the ecumenical Jesus. Now, this is an interesting one because this is popular for people who like Jesus, but they don't want to worship him exclusively. You know, one of the things that I mentioned in the early service this morning was when 9-11 happened many years ago, uh, I, was, I was intrigued that all of a sudden the nation, almost like a switch went on overnight where everybody now started talking about God. Anybody remember that? I know it's a long time ago, but, but everybody started talking about God. In fact, you, could, you would see newscasters and, and news broadcasts that would have God bless America, and you would hear uh, political leaders that would talk about, hey, let's pray for America, and let's ask God to bless America. In fact, one of the things I remember uh, so vividly was that there was a sign. I remember this sign being advertised. It was a triple X video store. Okay, everybody knows what goes on there. So it was a triple X video store that had on their marquee, God bless America. And I, I scratched my head and I thought, well, what God do they want to bless America? The one that winks at their, their sin? 
You know, but here was what was noticeably absent, was while everybody was talking about God, nobody was talking about Jesus. You see, Jesus is totally different. Jesus, the ecumenical Jesus is one who likes Jesus, but they just don't want to, they don't want to worship him exclusively. They, they lump him together with all of these other religious leaders such as Confucius and Gandhi and Buddha and Muhammad. Many people believe in the ecumenical Jesus because it's a very convenient way to call yourself a Christian and still be open-minded about other religions. That's where we are today. The disciples answered the prevailing opinions of the day, but it still left the question, who am I? Who am I? Some might wonder, well, pastor, is it really important that we, uh, what we believe about Jesus? Listen to me, absolutely. Is it really important that I understand who Jesus is? Absolutely it is. Absolutely in this day of competing voices and values, it is essential that we understand who Jesus Christ is. You see, Jesus came to earth, and this is the thing I want you to understand. Both the biblical record and the secular records support this fact. What does that mean? It means that these are historical people. These people, when you read the Gospels and you read about uh, times and locations, these were real historical people in a documented time uh, in history in documented places. You know, people say, well, the Bible is just a bunch of myth. It was made up by man. They're just good stories. No, these were historical things that happened. There was a real Herod. There were real apostles. They were, there, there were real people in real places and real towns and villages that we can point to, we can go to, we can take pictures of. In fact, in our text this morning, our text takes place in a place called Caesarea Philippi. I've been to Caesarea Philippi. I've stood in that, in that great hall where Paul said to Agrippa, thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian. I've stood right there in that amphitheater. If you've ever watched uh, Ben-Hur and you've seen that chariot race, that's in Caesarea Philippi. I've stood in that, in that arena that they filmed that movie. I stood there. It's a real place, real people, real events happen. Uh, and it's important. But here's the thing. The lordship of Jesus calls for more than just empirical evidence. That Jesus was a real person is beyond question. No honest person can ever say that Jesus wasn't a real human being. He wasn't a real man. The fact that Jesus did miracles, beyond dispute. I mean, everywhere Jesus went. Again, he's always healing the sick and raising the dead and feeding everybody with McFish sandwiches and doing all of those things. They saw that. In fact, when Jesus was crucified, buried, and three days later was resurrected, the Bible says in one sitting, over 500 people saw him alive. So that is indisputable. That is indisputable. But you know what? He's so much more than those things. The question is, do you believe that I am the Christ the son of the living God. And so in our text, that's what Jesus does. Who am I? He asked the question that every one of us must answer. This is the question at the center of all Christianity. You get this question wrong and everything that follows is an error. What you believe about Jesus shapes everything else that you believe. You get it wrong, you're wrong on everything else. See, Jesus is not a redeemer among many. He is the redeemer. He's not a way among many ways. He is the way. He's not truth among many truths. He is the truth. And that is what we've got to establish in our own hearts about Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, amen, except through him. 
Again, notice that Jesus doesn't ask him, do you believe that I've lived? Because it was obvious, right? They were with him. He didn't ask them, do you believe that I'm a good man? Because, again, it's obvious everywhere Jesus went, he was doing good. He asked the blind man that, had, uh, that went to the heart of his belief system, and he says this, do you believe that I am the Son of Man? Now, the Son of Man is a messianic title that's from the Old Testament. Uh, when he asked that man, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, who is he, Lord, that I, may, that I may worship him? What he's asking is, do you believe that I'm the Messiah, the Anointed One? Listen, there's so many voices today trying to tell us who Jesus really is. There are those, again, today that would say Jesus is a good man, uh, that he was a great teacher, he was a great prophet, but they stop right there, and they don't go any further. Jesus was all of those things, my friend, but he was so, so much more. You see, listen, Jesus is God. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is King of kings, and he is Lord of lords. He is eternal self-sustaining without beginning and without end he didn't become god okay he didn't ascend to godhead through good works amen he was god before there was man he was god before there was anything that is made that was made and even while he dwelt among us he was in the fullness of the godhead in fact paul writing in colossians chapter 2 he said that in him dwells the fullness of the godhead bodily so when you ask the question do you believe that question is loaded because what you think about and what you believe about Jesus says a whole lot about the rest of your belief system. In fact, John writes in his gospel, he said the reason that he was writing the gospel under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, here's what he said in chapter 20, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life, eternal life through his name. Amen. I mean, think about that. John says, look, it's so important that you understand. In fact, if you were here last Sunday, we had people that committed their life to Christ or rededicated, and one of the things I told them was that one of the things you need to do is start reading the Bible. And I said, start in the book of John. Why? Because the book of John is known as the gospel of belief. It tells us who Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, the, in, the incarnation. Start with John, read the book of John, get into the beliefs uh, and learn about who Jesus, learn how to believe in Him as the only begotten of the Father. Jesus asked that blind man again, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, Lord, who is He that I might, that I might believe? He said, I am He who speaks to you. And the Bible said, then He said, I believe, and He worshiped. He worshiped. Jesus said to Martha, standing there at that funeral, remember? He said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, okay, will live. Even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And she said, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God who has come into the world. See, there's something different about Jesus. Jesus is not one among many. He's unique. He's the only begotten Son of God. There was no one like Him before. He came born of a virgin, born of the Holy Spirit, and there'll never be another one like Him. Jesus is the only name whereby we can find salvation. He is the Alpha and He is the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. He is the one who was dead and is alive and has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. That's who we're talking about this morning. Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father. 
once Paul is on his way to Rome. Anybody remember this story? He's on his way to Rome, and a fierce storm. He's on this ship going to Rome, and a fierce storm arose. And the Bible says Paul, everybody and everything on the ship was in danger, and Paul had a vision, and he wakes up, and he says, okay, guys, listen to me. There was an angel of the Lord that stood by me and told me tonight that that, uh, no life would be lost. And then he said this. I love what he said. He said, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. For I believe God. Listen to me this morning. Jesus is not one among many. He is unique. The Bible testifies of Jesus. In fact, I believe God. Who is Jesus? Well, let me tell you. In Genesis, he is the seed of woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the atoning sacrifice. In Numbers, he's the smitten rock. In Deuteronomy, he's the faithful prophet. In Joshua, he's the captain of the Lord's host. In Judges, he's the divine deliverer. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he's the anointed one who is coming. In 2 Samuel, he's the son of David who will sit upon the throne. In 1 and 2 Kings, he's the coming king. In 1 and 2 Chronicles, he's the builder of the temple. In Ezra, he's the restorer of the temple. In Nehemiah, he's the restorer of the nation. In Esther, he's the preserver of the nation. In Job, he's the living redeemer. In Psalms, he's the praise of Israel. It don't stop there. In Proverbs, he's the wisdom of God. In Ecclesiastes, he's the great teacher. In the Song of Solomon, he's the fairest of 10,000. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he's the maker of the new covenant. In Lamentation, he's the man of sorrows. In Ezekiel, he's the glory of God. In Daniel, he's the coming Messiah. In Hosea, he's the lover of the unfaithful. In Joel, he's the hope of Israel. In Amos, he's the husbandman. In Obadiah, he's the Savior. In Jonah, he's the resurrected one. In Micah, he's the ruler of Israel. In Nahum, he's the avenger. In Habakkuk, he's the holy God. In Zephaniah, he's the king of Israel. In Haggai, he's the desire of the nation. In Zechariah, he's the righteous branch. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness. But it don't stop there. It don't stop there. Amen. In Matthew... He's the king of the Jews. In Mark, he's the servant of the Lord. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the ascended Lord. In Romans, he's the believer's righteousness. In 1 Corinthians, he's the believer's sanctification. In 2 Corinthians, he's the believer's sufficiency. In Galatians, he's the believer's liberty. In Ephesians, he's the exalted head of the church. In Philippians, he's the Christian's joy. In Colossians, he's the fullness of deity. In 1 Thessalonians, he's the believer's comfort. In 2 Thessalonians, he's the believer's glory. In 1 Timothy, he's the Christian's preserver. In 2 Timothy, he's the Christian's rewarder. In Titus, he's the blessed hope. In Philemon, he's the substitute. In Hebrews, he's the high priest. In James, he's the giver of wisdom. In 1 Peter, the rock. In 2 Peter, the precious promise. In 1 John, he's the life. 2 John, he's the truth. 3 John, he's the way. In Jude, he's the advocate. And in Revelation, he is king of kings. And he is Lord of lords. That's who he is. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. He's different. He's different. That's who he is. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Listen, from Genesis to Revelation. Today's just an introduction, but I I feel preached this morning. From Genesis through Revelation, let me tell you, 66 books written over a span of 1,500 years by different authors in different countries, 
wrote this book and they testify to God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, it's all about Jesus. How that the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world who came to do what you and I could not do for ourselves. It is only through Him that we have eternal life. Jesus Christ is the answer to our dilemma, to our crisis, and to our questions. And the Bible points to him. The theme of the Bible is Jesus. In the Old Testament, there is anticipation. In the Gospels, there is the incarnation. In Acts, there is the proclamation. In the epistles or the letters, there's explanation. And in Revelation, there is the consummation. The Old Testament says he is coming. The Gospels say he is here. The book of Acts says he has come. The epistle says he is Lord. Revelation says he is coming again. See, what keeps me going, church, what gets me up in the morning and tucks me bed, uh, tucks me in the bed at night, what helps me through the challenges of life is the fact that I believe. It boils down to that. Do you believe that I am the Son of God? In 1985, in a barracks in San Antonio, Texas, you've heard this story. I knelt beside that bunk at Lackland Air Force Base, and I said, God, I believe. And that started a transition in my life that is still going strong today. I still believe today. Actually, I believe more today than I did 30-some-odd years ago. Jesus Christ, the answer to what ails our world today. Listen, when I stood at the graveside of my dad in 2012, my dad is part of the reason I am, you've heard me say it, my dad was a great, great believer, strong, devout Christian, was one of those dads that church was not optional, church was life. We went to church, my dad preached his one sermon to me every day of my life, and I stood there at that at that graveside, and I was heartbroken. Many of you know what I'm talking about. I was heartbroken. I love my dad. Every Sunday morning, my dad, I would have a conversation with my dad. I'd sit in my office before service, and I'd be on the phone with my father. I missed those phone calls. And I stood there beside that grave as he was a veteran as well, and they do the bagpipes and the 21-gun salute. They fold that flag, and present it to my, father, my, 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 my oldest brother on behalf of a grateful nation. I stood there, and I listened to people talk about Ed. They called him Ed. They talk about Ed. I was heartbroken. I was heartbroken. But here's the thing. I did not grieve as those who had no hope. I did not sorrow like those who had no promise. See, for I believe that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I believe what Jesus said when he stood in front of his disciples in John chapter 14. He'd been preparing them for his departure. And he stood up among them and he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again and I'll, I'll receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also I stood there with those words echoing in my spirit, and I thought, how could you be really, really sad about that? My dad's home now. Listen, I want to tell you this morning, if you were a believer, born-again believer in Jesus, through Jesus Christ, through his atoning work at Calvary, then you know what? 
God's got an angelic corps of engineers right now that's working on your mansion. Used to be an old Southern Gospel song said, I got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land. What's it say? Where I never grow old or out of shape or overweight. Won't need a gym. Won't need keto. Won't need Adkins. <laughs> I need Krispy Kremes. Turn, hey, that's manna. I'm telling you, that's manna. We're going to have manna. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. He's been working on my place. I'll be 58 years old if the Lord tarries till November. He's been working on my place for a long time. Won't you think about that for a moment? How many's ever been to places that left you speechless? Just the beauty of the, of, 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 you know, whether it be the mountains, whether it be the, the beaches, wherever. There, there are places on earth that literally will take your breath away. Many of you never had the joy of hearing my wife sing. Man, my wife could sing. Oh. I, when I married her, I did not know she could sing. And I remember when we were living in Germany, I was, she and I would always be invited to, to be part of the uh, Assembly of God retreat they have every year for all the European people come together, AG people, and we do a big retreat. And they would always invite us. To, we were children's ministers back in the day, and they would invite us to come and be a part of their do the kids program, but one day the director said, hey, um, does your wife sing? I said, I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not one of the questions we talked about before we got married. I didn't ask her, you know, do you sing? I mean, most preachers now, do you sing and play the piano? That's the only thing I want to know. If you don't, I'm not going to marry you. I said, I don't know. Let me ask her. And I said, sweetheart, do you sing? She said, well, I'm singing in church. I said, well, they need somebody to fill a a spot in the in the service. Now you understand we're we're down in in near the Austrian border, so the Austrian Alps, and we're at what they call the General Walker Hotel, which was part of Hitler's compound, and they had a they had a a room, a big room where people gathered, and on the back of it, this wall back here would have been nothing but windows from the ground to the ceiling, from the floor to the ceiling, and when they opened that curtain, you saw the snow covered Alps. And here's my beautiful wife standing there with a microphone singing a song that liked to knock me on my behind. I did not know she could sing, but then you put that next, juxtapose that with the scenery behind me. It took my breath away. I, it was amazing. You know what? That pales in comparison to the place he's making for us. I still believe that. I, listen, I believe that when I pray for someone who is sick, there's healing available. I believe that by his stripes, we are healed. I believe that when one is sick among us, that we can call for the elders of the church. We can anoint them with oil, pray the prayer of faith. It shall heal the, the prayer of faith shall heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise them up. I believe that. 
I believe that when I face situations that are too big for me to handle, that God will always make a way. I believe that if I have faith the size of a mustard seed, that I can speak to the mountains of my life and cast them into the sea. I believe that when it is impossible for me, it's still possible for God because with God, all things are possible. I believe that he's begotten of the Father, the only begotten, without equal in time and eternity. I believe that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Listen, today I get so upset when I turn on the news or I listen to some commentator talk about they, they, they badmouth, mock, and ridicule my Jesus. But one day if they don't bow to him as Lord and Savior, they will bow to him as judge in that day because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. I believe that there is no other name given among men whereby there is salvation. I believe that, that he was real, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, and that he ever lives to make intercession for us right now. If you don't get anything I say, I want you to understand. Amen, that's a good place. I want you to understand this. He is our intercessor and he's our advocate. He's advocating for you. What does that mean? Guys, come on back. I'm wrapping this up. We're going to go to baptism real quick here in a minute. Here's what that means. You have an accuser. You have an accuser. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. You have somebody that is that is saying he's a, he's, he's a rat, he's an old dirty scoundrel, he's all this, he's that. You know what? I am all that. I have an accuser that says, Father, Mike Mizell, I'll tell you what, I don't know what in the world you see in that guy. He's, he, he'll let you down at every turn. He'll disappoint you at every turn. And see, I have, I have an advocate who says, wait a minute, Father, wait a minute. You see, in 1985, he knelt down and he confessed me as Lord. And I took on his shame. And I took on his guilt. And I wrote that ordinance that was against him, the sin that he had committed, those, that lifestyle. I, I took that upon myself and I paid it, Father. I pardoned him and there's no, I find no fault in him. That's what an advocate does. He's there on my behalf. But then he's interceding for me. What does that mean? Bless you. What does that mean? It means he's praying for me. What did he tell Peter. He said, Peter, Satan has desired to have you, but I pray that your faith not fail. You know what? He's doing that for every one of you here this morning. He's doing that for you this morning. You may feel like you're alone. You may feel like nobody sees you in your dilemma, in your crisis, in your, your chaos. I'm telling you, there's one who's interceding for you right now. And they're saying, they're saying come on, Sally, you can do it. I'm praying for you. I'm praying the Father strengthen you through the Holy Spirit. You can do that. There's a great cloud of witnesses around you that are cheering you on. That's what he's doing right now. So let me wrap this up. Do you believe that he's the answer to your questions, that he's the answer to your dilemma, and he's the answer to your crisis? Do you believe that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you believe that he died in your place to give you eternal life so you can be born again? I believe... How about you this morning? Who, do you, who am I? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Redeemer of all mankind. The Bible says, search the Scriptures, for it is these who testify about Jesus. And in them, you have eternal life. Listen, if I believe He is who He claims to be, then no matter what I'm facing in life, I'm still a winner. I want you to stand with me this morning. If you're here to be baptized, guys, if you'll go over here to my right. Ladies, if you'll go over here to my left. 
If you're here to be baptized, go ahead right now and you can get ready. And while they're moving, let me just ask you, do you believe, church? If you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, is, then what that means is no matter how tough it is right now, he's on your team. He's on your team. I love that, I love that lithograph, the, the painting, whatever it was, of footprints. Anybody remember what I'm talking about? In that little story about footprints, it talks about how in the troubles of life, it just seemed like every time that he got into trouble, he only saw, you know, there were two sets of footprints going through life, but when he got into really tough spots, he noticed there was only one set of footprints. And in his mind, he was thinking, what do you do, abandon me? I mean, when I'm, when I'm really going through it, do you just leave me to go through it and then join me on the other side? Of course, you know it well. It says, no. No, that's not how it works. When you go through those deep, dark valleys of life, I carry you. Jesus stood up one time. He said, come, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's some people here today, you need rest. You're carrying loads that God the Father never intended for you to carry. And that Jesus is praying and interceding for you right now that you'll, that you'll cast those things off because He cares for you. I know we got baptism here in a moment, but I want to I I pray for you this morning. If you're here today, say, you know what, Pastor? This is a reminder. Jesus is on my team. If you're a believer this morning, if you've been born again, he's on your team. He's praying for you. He's advocating for you. And that cloud of witnesses, they're rooting for you. How can we win? I mean, how can we lose? <laughs> That's how we win. How can we lose? We've got God for us. We've got Jesus with us because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We got God for us. We got Jesus with us. And if that wasn't enough, he said, I'll send the comforter to live within you. So I have God for me. I have Jesus with me. And I have the Holy Spirit living on the inside. The Trinity. How in the world can I lose? What I'm saying today is if you're here today and say, you know what, Pastor, I'm carrying things that the Father doesn't want me to carry. I'm weighted down. I don't have the joy that I used to have. I'm overwhelmed. And it's time for me to lay that stuff off because Jesus is my answer. While they sing, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I want somebody to pray with me today. I want you to join me right down front because we want to pray. Go ahead. And while they're singing, would you come? And I'm going to ask the prayer team, as you see people come, I want you to come and pray with them as well. Christ is my firm foundation. You need prayer? Come on, we'll the pray with you. Rock on which I stay, with everything around me shaking. I've never been more glad than I put my faith in Jesus. He's never let me down. He's faithful through generations. So why would he fail now? He won't. 
Come on, stand with me one more time. Let's give the Lord a let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise and a celebration man, for this morning. Hallelujah. Wow. Mom, Dad, you're doing a good job. I love seeing our children follow through in baptism. That's important. This right here is a symbol that says, I choose Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church, for. Again, this is probably over 50 that we've done this year. I never get tired of why we do all the things that we do is so that we can get people in the kingdom of God. It's not about building the church. It's about building the kingdom. God will add to the church what he wants here to help us do what we do. But I want to build the kingdom of God. Plunder hell, populate heaven. Amen. Let's make a difference in our world. Amen. As I close this morning, remember, the answer to your dilemma, your crisis, your questions 
is Jesus. This week, you're going to need to go to him. Go to him. Let him be that friend. Let him be that comforter. Let him be your all. Father, today I love you so much. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the hope of heaven. May we walk out of here. And thank you for baptism. Thank you for those who are following you today. Lord, as we walk out of here today, may we walk out celebrating the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not in the sweet by and by, but in the nasty now and now. We celebrate your goodness today. Take us out of here. May we rejoice in your goodness. Give us a great week, Lord. May we be the answer to someone's prayer on a daily basis, Lord. And I just thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. amen. Thank you for joining us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. I'll God's The rain can't win. Blue, my house was built on you. I'm safe with you, I'm gonna make it through, and rain came when blue, my house was built on and I'm safe with you, I'm gonna make it through, oh I'm gonna strong with you oh I'm gonna make it through cause my house was built on you Christ is my firm foundation he's the rock on which I stand and everything around me shaken I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. He's never let me down. He's faithful in generations. So why would he fail now? He won't. No, you won't. Fair.